Ground control to Major Tom, your mic is dead, there's something wrong. Can you hear me, Tony, please? Your choice of song was very different today. I was listening to this song earlier, and now I can't get it out of my brain. <laughs> All right, we have to stop this. Yeah, yeah, really? Imagine we just did this for the next 90 minutes. <laughs> just the whole episode? Yeah, yeah. Thanks, guys. Uh, next week, we'll talk about a movie. <laughs> We'd probably get some new fans, but we also lose a bunch. What kind of new fans? Bowie fans? Maybe. There's a lot of them. Really? Maybe that's the market we should be trying to tap. There's a lot. Of, for sure, there's a lot of David. The top song on Spotify, which probably is like Heroes or something, uh-huh. probably, I'm guessing, has like a quarter of a billion views or listens. Interesting. Anyway, we have a lot to talk about today, so I don't want to waste time. But how are you? I'm okay. Yeah? Yeah, there's not a whole lot for me going on. My my workplace is trying to fashion a strategy for returning to the office. Yeah. They don't say return to the office. They say return to work, which has the slight uh, but subtle... Implication that you're not working. Exactly. Yeah. And it is a little bit uh, annoying. They're like, okay, return to turning on your computer. Yeah, return to putting pants on. Well, there's a good chance you haven't been doing that. Oh, true. (laughs) Shit. (laughs) I honestly, like, I think about what shirt I'm going to wear, but I haven't considered what pants I'm going to wear in a long time. So, uh, hold on. What shirt are you wearing right now, this moment? Because there's a Velcro strap that's blocking the logo, and I... I feel like I'm missing out. That's why I feel like I can get logo. I actually don't like wearing logo shirts because like, why am I paying you to advertise for you? Yeah, It just bothers me. So I generally don't get shirts with logos on them. But this one, I actually don't know. I think it's like like a design of a leaf turning into a wave or something. It's super like hipster and save the environment. That's like the message. But I know that the staff is going to be covering it, so it doesn't bother me. Like, I also have this other hoodie that I really like, but it has some dumb stuff on the back. But I'm like, who cares? Nobody's going to see my back. Yeah, what are you going to do, bend over? It's not happening. Yeah. So I just, I have that hoodie and nobody even knows. It'd be funny if, like, you you wore, like, a shirt with a nude person on it, and then your strap, like, covered the the dirty bits. I just censored it. (laughs) Yeah. I should start getting shirts that are, like, like ambiguous under the the strap. (laughs) Yeah. So it's, like, I blank women. (laughs) What's under the strap? Yeah, yeah. Is he MAGA or amazing? (laughs) It's so funny. Oh, that's a great idea. I should start making my own line of strap-friendly shirts. We joke about this, but we talked about before how there's like minimum style that's specifically tailored to people who sit down all day. Yeah, even just little things that you don't think about, like pockets on the back. Yeah. 
obviously it's, it's not even the fact that we're not going to use them. That's extra bulk and extra bunchiness. Mm-hmm. That's just unnecessary. Have you ever had someone like recommend that you wear a fucking fanny pack? No, you, no, really? Really? Oh my God. I've had like physiotherapists, like my dad every day is like, well, Joe, your pockets aren't very reliable because all your stuff always slides out of them. I'm picking up your phone all the time. You should get a fanny pack. And I'm like, Dad. Well, I guess that kind of makes sense. You could get like a pouch on the side of your chair. A roommate that I had in university always had a fucking fanny pack. And he and I, I um, am projecting his personality onto that particular article of clothing because I just feel like the minute I wear one, I'm going to turn into that person. Well, those are diagonal fanny packs. I don't know what the right word for them is, but those are pretty popular right now. Have you seen those? Are they sexy? I personally don't get it, but I know a lot of people that wear them. Well, don't you have like storage solutions on your chair that look sleek and cool? And I have a backpack. Pro tip for any wheelies out there with a backpack. Color code your zippers. Oh. Yeah. So, okay, so you can so you can tell the attendant which like portion of the the backpack to yep. open or something. I just wanted to figure that out for myself. Exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah. Or like if I'm at the store and I need to pay for something or get a card out or something, ah. uh, I could be like, Hey, can you grab my wallet? It's in the pink zipper rather than trying to be like, it's the zipper near the bottom on the left over. Like it's a vertical. You know what I mean? Yeah. Seems like you got to put a lot of trust into like perfect strangers to ask them to handle your, your wallet. Yeah, you really do. Um, I mean, I can use my phone, like the built-in pay feature on the phone, um, but I think that maxes out at a hundred bucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For for you for your debit card. Yeah, before you have to put your pin in. You're talking about tap. Yeah. Tippy taparoo. Yeah. But don't we have to trust people more than average all the time? Like I have to trust people to wipe my butthole properly, to make sure my balls are clean, to make sure my shirts aren't inside them, to make sure my boxers aren't backwards. You're going to have a bad time if you don't trust anyone and you're super disabled. You should have something in your wallet that like takes a picture as soon as it's opened so that if you ask a perfect stranger to handle your money and they fuck you over, at least you have like... Photo evidence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every wallet is just like... A thumb covered by a wallet. Actually, it's one of those like one of those like packets that they put inside like bags of money at the bank that explode when you open them without being a security guard. Oh yeah. Imagine that was it. Like I'm like, hey, do you mind just grabbing my wallet for me? And they think they're doing me a favor and they open it up and then they're covered in green dust. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, joke's on you. Never help a wheelie, but <laughs> Just leave without getting your wallet back. It's a fake wallet. Yeah. <laughs> you just prank people who are super nice to you. Oh, no. <laughs> Teach people to be wary of their own, like, compulsion for goodwill. It would be, you know, it would work if you, like, some random person was like, hey, do you mind grabbing my wallet for me? And they're like, it's not one of those trick dust wallets, <laughs> is it? And they're like, what are you talking about? Uh, but seriously, don't steal from wheelies. Like a lot of attendants historically, uh, there's a lot of anecdotal stories around Carleton University where Anthony and I went to school of, you know, clients losing money and 
even here where I live now. Yeah, it's fucked up. I had someone, have we talked about this? Like, I had someone come into my apartment while I was sleeping and just raid my fridge of alcohol. Oh my God, that happened to me a couple times in university. Yeah, it was bizarre. Yeah, I lost, I lost a, a fake iPod in my second day of school, actually. In September a 2007. Fake, like an MP3 player? Yeah, it was like one of those like Microsoft Zooms or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like one of those bullshit things that never took. But anyway, someone took it from me. Ha ha ha. Yeah. And I figured it had to be an attendant because I kept my bathroom door locked. Yeah. And, and that program is the only other place where they would have a key to just barge into my room undetected. Yeah. The worst part is this person came in, stole a bunch of alcohol drank the alcohol and then continued her shift. It was an overnight shift and continued to like get people up in the morning. Wow. Did she tell you that this occurred? No, because it, she was getting up one of the people I know in the building. And he called me, he was like, she tried to get me up and she was like falling over and I had to kick her out and just wait for the next shift to start. That happened to me though. Like somebody took hard liquor from the cabinet in my uh, dorm in Leeds house. Yeah. And they, they actually told me about it the next day. It like Added almost, guilt? no, they told me as like a way to pass it off as like, Oh, you know, anything in your common area is up for, up for grabs oh. and I'll be sure to drink with you next time. It was very odd. Wow. And, and I was, I was so deeply upset that I, um, that they eventually lost their job. Way to turn that from an active statement into a passive statement. <laughs> I was so upset that I uh, they, they don't work there anymore. <laughs> so today, obviously, I don't make time about work stuff, but this came up and I was like, oh, this is hilarious. I was doing an intake for a client and it was like going to be a good fit or whatever. So I started saying the phrase, I look forward to being able to do this for you. Oh, God. And I realized how we do. I was like, I, was like, I look forward to being helping you with help, doing stuff. Like, I started just stumbling like crazy. Oh, no. Because I, I couldn't, even though it was the appropriate phrase in my mind, mm-hmm. I just couldn't bring myself to saying it. So for anyone who, for, who forgets, that's a phrase that was spoken to Tony by a woman who was offering him uh, uh affection every time you try to say you just don't like the word sex (laughs) every time sex comes up you're like carnal rage (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) ravage is growing yeah yeah oh anyway yeah so you didn't offer the client uh sex right you you were (laughs) yeah no uh, i wasn't offering them sex uh but it was just like to be honest in that moment i felt a little bit more regret or not because I was like oh maybe this is all they meant maybe it wasn't as loaded as I thought oh because you know I wasn't meaning it in a weird condescending power move type thing I was really genuinely excited to be able to do this see see this this uh, encounter that you had like sort of overlaps with events in the tv show special yeah season two that we watched yeah Um, and we'll get into that yeah, we will. Maybe we should get into it because I feel like there's a lot to talk about here. There really is. Yeah, let's start talking and maybe we'll end without a wheel breakers. It's going to be a doozy. You said that you wanted 
horny disabled media in the last episode. I really did. And you got what you asked for. I don't know if I did. This was the horniest show I've ever seen with the wheelie in it. Tell me this wasn't the horniest show you've ever seen. I mean, it's like, it, it's, it's, it's horny, but it's like kind of clinically so. It's clinically horny. That's an interesting take. I just like it, it's the same criticism of the second season sex scenes that I leveraged toward the first season sex scenes, which is that anytime Ryan encounters a person that he wants to have sex with, mm-hmm. the, like the intimacy between them is incredibly awkward. Okay, wait, I just want to roll back a quick second and we should say we were going to cover the entire season yeah. at first. Yep. And then we started watching it. We were going to, you know, watch four episodes one night, then four episodes the next night, and then just talk about this season. But by the time we finished the first four episodes, we realized pretty quickly that there was a lot, even just in the first four episodes. Yeah. So we're going to do this episode is going to be the first four episodes of the second season. Mm-hmm. And then the next episode, which is episode 35, crazy. Whoa. We will be doing the second half of the second season. So the last quarter of the show. Okay. Uh, Anyway, yeah. So I will agree with you that it felt sort of awkward, but I think that was intentional, right? I'm just, and I know that there's a place for awkward sex scenes between people who are inexperienced in that realm. It totally makes sense. Yeah. And Ryan is one of those people because as, as he stated, he only just, lost his virginity in the first season, which as of the second season is, is like a couple months earlier. Yeah. And so he has minimal sexual experience. And so naturally anyone he encounters, there's going to be that cute, awkward kind of like 40 year old virgin. Uh, I don't know how to apply a condom and I don't know how to lie properly in bed. And I don't know how to whatever, like everything. It's just like this freak on a leash with a limp, you know, no friends and, Definitely no boyfriends. I mean, I just, I just lost my virginity a few months ago. Ooh, who's the lucky guy? A sex worker. Okay, hot. I have always wanted to use one. Okay, um, one thing that I don't like about this particular exchange is, first of all, Ryan describes himself as a freak on a leash. Like, that was his, like, early childhood. And he says he had no friends to speak of and basically like grew up very remotely. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have trouble buying that because of how mobile he is because he's like well socialized, you know, in real life, he he is a successful writer. It doesn't compute for me because people I know who are more disabled than him uh, have had fewer opportunities and yet still lead fuller emotional lives than the Ryan O'Connor depicted in this show. And so I feel like he's, I feel like there are times when he plays up his disability and I know you have to do that for the sake of like, yeah, you know, like uh, dramatization and whatnot, but like the trouble with um, disabled source material being so authentic is that like a disabled audience holds it up to like increasing degrees of scrutiny, you know, like if it's not, if it's so real, but, but then not real enough. It's like the uncanny valley of looking at a real person versus CGI. Just while you're watching Ryan's story, you're thinking on some level, like th- these things don't all add up. And I know that is like perhaps a pedantic criticism, but 
it kind of holds throughout the whole series. And I think it, 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 it is what underlies like why I, I didn't really enjoy myself while watching this, despite the fact that I appreciate that it exists. Yeah. I really want to talk about it like more generally, at least at first, because I think that we really, we talked about this before, but the fact that it exists is such a milestone for disability media. And so I really don't want to take too much away from that. I also feel like, you know, Ryan isn't, doesn't have a whole lot of acting experience. And unfortunately that shows, but at the same time, he's the best person for the role. Like he wrote the show about himself and I wouldn't really want to see, I definitely wouldn't want to see a non-disabled person trying to have CP again. No. I mean, it might have been interesting if they tried casting other disabled people, but I can imagine if I wrote this show, I'd want to be in it. Yeah. I think he earned his spot in the cast. I, I think the the autobiographical nature of the show is readily apparent, even if you don't know that Ryan wrote it or based it on a memoir. And um, it sort of helps uh, close the gap between his like lackluster acting and, you know, like what he's trying to accomplish on screen. Yeah. It makes up for it is what I'm trying to say. The boss again in this show is so good. Ryan's boss at his workplace. Yeah. She's so funny, man. She's like so wry and detached and she's just not having any of Ryan's like bullshit. She has no sympathy for him or anyone really. Like she's quite... I mean, if the series had a villain, it might be her. But through her, he's able to lob like criticisms at himself in a way that is like really satisfying. Yeah. One thing that I felt more so, at least the first half of this season, Mm -hmm. compared to the first season, maybe it's just because I've more acclimated to it now, but it really felt like a caricature of the show that it was being like the, a lot of the jokes were like over sanitized to me, which good because it's also a lot more bingeable and digestible as a result, I think, especially for like mainstream able-bodied viewers. But as a disabled viewer, it almost counters the authenticity of it. It's frustrating, yeah, because you see an opportunity for a good zinger, and you and then you watch Ryan not not really take that opportunity, especially because you know he does have a penchant for like acerbic wit. There's a quote at the start of the season where Ryan's boss is asking him to write more about his disability because like it obviously garners more clicks for the website that he works at, and he basically refuses. Are you okay? Do you miss mommy? I'm fine. No, you don't need mommy. Drop it, Olivia. Why don't you just write about your disability again? You could be like the new, hot, marginalized group of people. I would, but I I just feel like I've already done that. You know, I don't know what else there is to say. I guess my CP is just kind of um, MBD. Ugh. Okay, then. (laughs) I felt the same way that the boss reacted when I heard that. Yeah, exactly. Again, though, I think he's trying to make a digestible joke for the able-bodied viewers. Yeah. 
So, or even just, you know, I can see some people with CP watching that and being, Haha. like, that's like a meme moment in the show. Like, it's almost like he was a step ahead trying to garner a larger audience, which is a good move. But again, to me, the fourth wall breaks a bit when a line like that comes through because my suspension of disbelief just kind of crumbles. Mm-hmm. It feels like a joke that like a millennial disabled Ray Romano would make in just for laughs or something like it's so toothless. And I know. Imagine I was like, you know what? I guess SMA is just MIA now. Yeah. I guess my SMA is A-OK. I'd be like, (laughs) go fuck yourself, Tony. Oh, I want to slap you. By the way, just a quick tangent. We're approaching Mm -hmm. the end of SMA Awareness Month and. I don't know what you've done for me. I've done nothing special for you. I've got a slew of Amazon packages in the mail for you. Oh, yeah. Okay, great. Yep. Gifts aren't my love language. We talked about this, but I do appreciate the effort a lot. Gifts aren't your love language? No. You're telling me you wouldn't appreciate a medley of new spices to put in your soups and like mix in with your lentils? I mean, I do like spicy lentils, yeah. Yeah, or you wouldn't appreciate like a Rocket League sweater. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know when I would wear a Rocket League sweater. (laughs) You could uh, avoid an awkward first date by just making sure your your chest strap covered the Rocket League typefacing. I'd I'd like want to make sure that the date didn't go too well so that the strap stays on the whole time. Oh, good point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, anyway, thanks for nothing. Continue. <laughs> It'd be funny if, like, no, this isn't funny. What were you going to say? I was going to say, like, so removing of the strap is a sign that the date is going uh, well because presumably she wants to pull you closer at some point. And I guess logistically it'd be hard to expect your your date to take off your shirt on the first the first encounter. So if she just like removed the strap and then all of a sudden, like you're. <laughs> the shirt so, just falls off. Yeah. Like the strap is the only thing holding my shirt on. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's actually no back to the shirt. <laughs> it's just like clipped together. Yeah. And then there's a strap holding it up. It's like a hospital apron. Like it's just tied at the back very slightly. Imagine the confidence I'd have to have. To go into a date wearing a removable shirt. <laughs> Just wait till we get home. I made this easy for you. Yeah, yeah. You're going to thank me later. Take off my strap. My whole, like, all my clothes just fall off. <laughs> Everything? Ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> Ready to go. Somehow the strap is, like, attached to my pants, too. <laughs> 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 it's just a weird onesie, like oddly removable. If that's the gift you're sending me, I'm down. <laughs> so you're like, if it contributes to your love life, then it's part of your love language. Now that gross. What the hell were we talking about was special? I don't know. I've I've talked a lot about other shows and movies where I feel like they needed to take one more pass to really try to get a good a good show out of it. Mm-hmm. And this one. I hate to say it, but it almost feels like there was one too many passes on it. Oh. Some of the jokes are like, what was the joke right before he said CP is NBD? Like, was there a joke there that wasn't as tight and as polished, but might have just read more authentic? Yeah, I think I know what you mean. 
like overly refined humor, um, it doesn't land as well, or it's not as memorable, memorable at the very least. Yeah. To me, a lot of the jokes were, and I'd love to, I'd love to be able to talk to Ryan about this and just get an idea of where he was coming from through all these things, because I think that would really help. Yeah. But I, I just wonder if he was thinking, I need this to be easily digestible because there are going to be so many eyes on it, so much scrutiny. It's so hard to please everyone. And that anxiety must be rampant when you're writing a show like this because there's nothing to compare it to. There's no path to follow. It's just a big gamble. So you're writing it and you're just like, how am I going to make a show that pleases everyone, even though it's so wildly new that it can't i know what you mean basically it's a it's like it's a strange coming of age uh sex comedy like that lacks raunch and it lacks the shock and surprise of you know being privy to these people's uh intimate lives uh like in a comedic context i just thinking like if this were like the American pie of crippled movies, like stretched out to television length and where, you know, the the emotional dynamics of the relationships are explored rather deeply, that would be amazing. But it, it's lacking a, a certain amount of, of shock um, because Ryan assumes that disability itself is culture shock. It feels like it's written for the viewers a lot. Like it's it's sort of, almost looking at the camera when they're talking to each other. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of moments where, like the very first episode, the very first season, which obviously we've already covered, but it opens with the most awkward, candid definition of CP in a way where like people just don't talk like that. And you know it's just exposition for the viewers. Uh-huh. And I felt a lot of that in this season as well, where... The jokes, and it's weird when I say for the viewers, because every TV show is for the viewers. What I mean is it feels like it's written to the point where the characters and their dynamics between each other on screen is sort of second, and the message that it's trying to get across is first. Mm. And I think to a different audience, that's amazing. Because it's good education. It's good exposure. People need that. And that's why it's super important. But when you and I are watching it, and literally every single week we're watching movies about disability, it doesn't have the same effect. What I was just trying to do is come up with a comparison between special and... American Pie? No, no, special and a comedy driven by a female comedian. And I struggle to I struggle to find that comparison where other women watching might have thought it was rather toothless or not quite there, right? But but sort of approaching good, but yeah, the parallel is not coming to mind at the moment. One thing that I will say that Ryan is really good at, I think, is his specialty is emotional intelligence. I believe, yeah, Be- because there are. Uh, a few portraits of relationships in this show. There is Ryan and um, a guy that he meets at a bar who's in an existing relationship with an older gentleman 
but he's also very open, wants to try to explore having, what do they call, is it, it's not polyamory, is it? Just open relationships. Just open relationships. So yeah, so um, this guy evidently very much likes Ryan and they, they try to pursue something open. And then Ryan has a quote unquote bad date with another guy who's kind of a, um, a devotee. And then uh, there's a relationship between Ryan's best friend and a guy that she meets at a bar. And then Ryan's mother has uh, runs into an old friend, basically that she has a problematic historical dynamic with that sort of comes to a head by the end of the fourth episode rather conveniently. And each of these relationships sort of betray several interesting aspects of the characters. Uh, And I think he, I I think it's really satisfying to watch these people interact, of course. So yeah, it's more of a, it's more of a, of a drama in the vein of, I don't know, uh, six feet under, or my reference brain is kind of numb today for some reason. How are you comparing to Six Feet Under? Six Feet Under is all about the uh, characters' uh, romantic lives and their like kind of like existential concerns, and it's all about how they are good and bad for each other. Right. That's the, yeah. that is like a really superficial like grade nine like explanation of what the fuck it is. Well, no, I think the one thing that this show does very well is it's very good at discussing dynamics between different people in Ryan's life. Mm-hmm. Like Kim and her boyfriend, that's an interesting dynamic as well. And all of it is relevant to the disability talk, right? Like whether the characters are disabled or not, the obstacles that they that they encounter uh, between each other um, has the flavor of disability in it, because Ryan is the head writer, and because um, he's exploring, I think, several of the ways that disabled romantic entanglements can play out. Yeah. Well, here's an example, right? I really like you. And I really didn't want to because I know how this ends up for me. Guys like you like to take girls like me for a couple of months, but eventually you'll realize I'm way too much for you. And you'd rather end up with some mild-mannered girl named Chelsea who lets you do butt stuff once a year. So I'm just going to save us both a lot of time and release you to the Chelsea's of the world. I really wish that you could just trust the fact that I like you too. So um, Ryan's friend Kim meets a guy at a bar uh, early in episode one and he's very cute and she likes him uh, almost immediately. He's the same actor who played the unsullied Khaleesi's like unsullied general in Game of Thrones Uh, and he's for Kim he's quite a good match. He has a penis in this show. Oh, he does have, that's true. He does have a penis this time around. Yeah. Luckily, he wasn't a method actor in Game of Thrones. Right. Yeah. Or he was, and then he just poured a new one on. Right. Yeah. He just grew up. It just grew back. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, like when Kim meets this guy, uh, she immediately assumes that he's a frat boy who lives with three other dudes, like in a townhouse and has shitty finances 
and that he's not woke. We like he doesn't have progressive politics. Like she basically just like labels him a bro and she sort of throws a lot of like derogatory remarks at him in her pre-assessment of who he is. She's nagging. Yeah, she's nagging because I think she's not sort of used to being approached by well-adjusted, attractive and interesting men, I guess. Or, you know, she just doesn't have a whole lot of self-esteem. And so to, to prevent her from any sort of like emotional investment in this guy, she spends the entirety of their first few dates pushing him away. And she says it's under the, the objective of setting proper emotional boundaries, but really she just knows that she likes him. And so she doesn't want to let, let him get in too close in, in the description of this. It doesn't sound like it's very fun to, to watch play out throughout the show, but she's a great actress. Yeah. She has great comedic timing and there's a fun tip for tat between the two of them as they're trying to figure each other out. Um, And the relationship plays out in a microcosm very realistically. And I I enjoyed watching it. I sort of realized that um, one of the reasons I think she's so close to to Ryan is because they they share a similar like degree of alienation, I think. Yeah. Like uh, Kim is over overweight and like she's fine with her body outwardly. And and she she says so, and her behavior reflects that uh, throughout the show. But there's a scene in the first season where she um, has a, a family dinner, and they are not as accepting of her of her lifestyle or her her diet and her choices. And so it is kind of one of her demons, I think, and it it leads to you know a pervasive unconscious lack of confidence. And she's unfortunately unloading all this onto this new guy that she's met that really likes her and is quite healthy in his reception of her. Uh, and so, yeah, so she tells him, like, I think eventually you're going to leave me before somebody who's more traditionally suited to you, you know, an able-bodied or like a more physically normative person. Which is a pretty clear parallel between Ryan's relationships. And yes. Yeah, and Ryan is a whole other can of worms with uh, with his particular encounters. But yeah, I I enjoyed her subplot. I like I really like that character. And again, like the last were kind of few and far between. But the the, the you know, like Ryan's a good writer. I, I you can't take that away from him. No, I think when we were watching it, I was enjoying myself a lot more than you were. But I also think that's because. And I don't want to speak for you, but my guess is that I can imagine it's hard to watch this show and not see elements of yourself that you aren't ready to see on screen and aren't ready to confront, mm-hmm. or they're confronted in a way that you don't align with. Yeah, I mean, the the first episode of season two opens with Ryan getting dressed, Um and it, it sort of lingers on him putting on a shirt with buttons. Yeah. And he, he does it with the buttons already done up because he doesn't supposedly have the fine motor skills to be able to do up said buttons. And there's a point where the he pops a button because he's like spastically trying to fit his arms through, through the sleeves. And if you've ever had the misfortune of watching me dress from shirtless for whatever reason, like it's very much like... Uh, like willfully entering a straitjacket, 
like until eventually like the clothes like rest on your body properly. But it's a, it's a real struggle. And I think the show brings that across really well. And then there's like a close up of him uh, lacing his Velcro shoes. And it's basically just meant to show that like his morning ritual, however simple, is hard. And I get that. But I still when I kind of detect that he is exaggerating the extent of his physical obstacles for the sake of the dramatization of the show, I get a, a, like mildly offended. It, it just happens. Yeah, you wanted it to be more authentic. And it was, I think it was trying to be more of a digestible, bingeable comedy show. There, there is the sense that um, because there's an intersectionality between uh, Ryan and the able-bodied world, like he leans more toward ambulatory than disabled. Which you had a lot of issue with like throughout the show, especially when he's like talking about passing as able-bodied. I guess we, we, we should get into a little bit of the relationship at the core of this season. There's one young guy that Ryan meets at a bar uh, in episode one and they hit it off immediately. Um, they have a really natural kind of banter. Don't feel bad. He's straight. How do you know? I overheard him telling a woman to smile. Oh, tale as old as time. Yeah, so Ryan mistakenly hits on a gay guy and then the gay guy like shuns him and then his love interest of the season like witnesses this rejection and then they have that nice little meet cute or whatever and that kind of sets the t- you mean a straight guy oh did oh, okay yeah he's a gay guy but yeah did i okay um but anyway so that kind of sets the tone and it's a again it's another compelling like well-written well-dramatized uh early stages of a relationship and i can't remember this fucking guy's name so i'm just gonna call him tanner oh tanner tanner is kind of like a manic pixie dream guy you know like he embraces ryan right away they uh they immediately go home that night and have intercourse and then the next day they go for breakfast and they talk to each other about their jobs and uh they get into it a little bit about their upbringing and there's like pithy jokes back and forth blah 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 I thought the writing between Ryan and Tanner was great. Yeah. The chemistry of them together on screen was also really good in my opinion. Yep. There's nothing stilted about it like at any point, which is really cool. Yeah. Tanner is really good at portraying this guy who's just like open to whatever, kind of cool with it, go with the flow, almost to the point where it doesn't feel believable, uh-huh. but just because it's so rare. Yeah. It's almost like Ryan is writing the template for what a successful interable couple should be. Where Tanner was just like, you know, he probably saw Ryan had a limp and he was just like, okay, that's fine. I can talk to this guy anyway. I'm open-minded enough that that isn't something that will make me walk away. I'm not super self-absorbed in vain. Whenever they hook up. Yep. And you actually, you actually feel like uh, excitement on Ryan's behalf. Like you yeah. kind of, you, you, you get those 
the vicarious butterflies of meeting a new person who actually treats you properly and just like healthy is warm and receptive and whatever. Yeah. It, it works really well. There's another clip I want to play of, of a moment when, cause Tanner is a choreographer. And so naturally when he wakes up after their first night together, he wants to do like a dance or some stretches or something. And Ryan, rather than say like, I'm going to opt out of that because I'm a wheelie. He's like, okay, I'll try it out. And there's this awkward sort of um, exchange between them. You know what? We've been laying in bed for far too long. Let's get some exercise. I don't do that. No, come on. I'll teach you one of my routines. It'll be cute and super easy. Okay, this is really simple choreography. You just bring your right arm up and your left foot back. Oh, wait. Okay, right arm. And then... Wait, okay, sorry. It's okay. Just do it again. Right arm up. Okay, right. Left foot back. Wait. Okay. Wait, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I I actually can't do this. Literally anyone can do this. Yeah, well, I'm not everybody, okay? I have cerebral palsy. Ugh. Okay. Ugh. I was going to ask. What what is that? You know, I actually, I, I wrote about it, so you can just Google it, okay? Okay. No big deal. We can do something else. There are several things about that that I don't like. Yeah, I want to hear them because I didn't feel it at all. And again, I don't have CP, so my experience is different than yours. But when we were watching that together, you made that exact same reaction noise. Yeah. Which I think starts with an A or a U, I'm not sure. (laughs) Yeah, and then I puke a little in my mouth. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't feel that because one thing I liked about him, even before this scene, him being Tanner, was, um, you know, when they're hooking up, maybe it wasn't this scene. I don't know. They bang a lot in the show. <laughs> they do. Eh? Yeah, that's another thing that it's kind of parallel to Six Feet Under for some reason. There's a lot of like uh, sex. Yeah. Yeah, which is a lost art in TV lately. Well, one thing I did like is they're trying different things. And Ryan's like, oh, my body doesn't really move like that. Just a little awkward in certain areas where you can kind of feel, or at least Tanner could feel, Ryan's inexperience. And Tanner was just like, oh, first time, no big deal. Let's try this position. It was like every moment that in my life has often been a big deal to a partner was just like, okay, moving on. All right, so you're saying you wish you had a first encounter with a with a tanner kind of person, like with that same attitude. Ideally female, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've been in situations before where I'm like, oh yeah, I don't think I'm going to be able to do that position. Like my leg doesn't move like that or whatever. Uh-huh. It's like a big deal. People are like, oh no, I'm so sorry. And then it like kind of just ruins the whole mood. I used to think and- of that with like physiotherapist not that i fucking had sex with them but like like we'd try a new stretch and my knee would pop and they would think that they broke me yeah and then they were just kind of real and you're just like no like it's fine i'm not dead <laughs> yeah and then i remember on the flip side in the very same experience very same situation i'm like oh yeah i can't bend like that or whatever they're like oh okay and they grab a pillow and they're like, can we try this that was the same vibe I was getting from Tanner, yeah. where they're just like, okay, a problem is just 
a need for a solution. Yeah. And not like some part where you have to stop and apologize and reel back and maybe end the whole night early. Yeah. You feel like you need to crack a joke just to like break the tension. Yeah. So and then and then all the sex is like gone from the room. It's there's no coming back. You're just like, hey, so I can't bend like that. And then it's like, okay, well, I'll just get my keys then. <laughs> what? <laughs> All right, well, I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. Okay, well, um, I'm going to delete your number. Bye. <laughs> uh, and they like unmatch you like right there in bed, half naked. <laughs> <laughs> they just like call the attendants. Yeah, someone's going to have to put it back in the chair and leave it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, by the way. I don't mind the tent. Just put his shorts back on. <laughs> so with Tanner, I felt that. I felt that he was really good at just kind of going with the flow, being open-minded, being non-judgmental. And he just wanted to get to know Ryan's cat. Ryan and get closer to him. And, and yeah, he wanted a cat, but <laughs> he also, I think, wanted like an emotional connection. And so he was able to Go through that. Yeah. See, you're focusing on on a different. Like, it wasn't Tanner that annoyed me. Right. Like, because again, like Ryan is good at like conveying his past relationship experience on screen. From what I gather, the yeah. problem that I had was that okay, so Ryan is treating his disability in this show as like some like precious kernel of truth about himself. <laughs> that he need only share with people who've earned it. Yeah. And so there's, it's like this scene where uh, they would talk about disability more candidly and outright. Um, he like shuts him down and says like, no, like asshole, like go read my blog, whatever. Yeah. I just, I do dislike that part. That's just like script writing logic where he's like, okay, well eventually when they actually do get close enough to, you know, maybe like fall in love or, show that there's been progress in the re- relationship. Eventually, Ryan will say, uh, I was born with cerebral palsy, lack of oxygen to my brain. My mother is really good to me. I absentee father, blah, 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 blah. All that shit. Yeah. And, and so the whole like, like artificial, like uh, how dare you make me partake in an activity that exposes uh, my disability to our fucking one night stand or whatever i just i didn't like that it felt artificial to me firstly because like i don't know about you but i love talking about disability well we made a podcast about it so that's good yeah like and i don't care i don't care if it's like a person off the street or someone i'm talking to at the bar or my para driver or it's a perspective that you have that not many other people have and so like why not share it you know it's oh yeah, I'm so happy to talk about it. Like pretty much in any context, I'm happy to talk about disability. Yeah. And uh and so this whole idea that it's that it's something that uh we like to keep to ourselves or that it's something that people should be wary of bringing up is kind of wrong-headed. And I think that's sort of indirectly the message that comes across sometimes. Well, yeah, I see what you're saying for sure. But I also think that for Ryan, it's a different beast because he's a little, it's a little bit easier for him to be able to hide it. Yeah. I don't think it's as easy as he lets on in the show for him to be able to hide it. Yeah. That's another problem that I have is that he, like, 
consciously or unconsciously aligns himself more with able-bodiedness than disability. That's something we can continue to talk about, but it's just a feeling that I get that I don't like. And I know that... Well, he is way closer to being able-bodied than both you and I combined. If we put your upper body and my sense of direction together, (laughs) we still wouldn't even be close. No, no, we'd have a lot of work to do still. A lot of physio. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of... Would we have CP or SMA? We'd have SMA, CP. I don't know. You're talking about if we like entered Brundlefly's telepods and came out a hybrid wheelie? Yeah, like what would happen if, if we took the least disabled parts of both of us to make a super wheelie? Our average IQ would increase because of you. No, it would be six. <laughs> I don't know where to take this hypothetical. I'm sorry. Uh, so yeah, that, that scene bothered me. Well, you, you scoffed when he said, I have CP. Was it because you didn't think that he would have to announce it or you didn't think it was appropriate for him to say it like that? Why were you throwing up in your mouth? Because he's acting like his, his disability is something he has to confess to. Oh. The, implica- the implications are shitty. Isn't it like the first thing someone notices about us? Yes. It's often the first topic of conversation. Yeah, but it's not the first thing people notice about him. They just see him and they're like, oh, he kind of limps. Or like maybe his left arm or whatever is up a bit. It looks a little different than what I'm used to. But I don't think it's enough for people to be like, oh, he's disabled. I think it's enough. I'm going to go out and say I think it's enough. Yeah, but it's enough that I feel like he could pass as someone who just got on the business end of a car or something. No, no. In the first four episodes of this season, there are like three or four instances where Ryan dramatizes um, obstacles that he encounters as a result of being disabled. Like there's a a small moment when he goes on a date with a different guy, the devotee, and they go to a restaurant together and they're about to be seated at a table and he is seated in a section where the tables are really close together and he can't actually summon the dexterity to sidestep between two tables. Well, those tables were smaller than the width of his thighs. Don't make excuses for the tables. Let me finish my sentence. So the tables were the problem. Okay, but like, so yeah, it would probably would have been hard for even an able-bodied person to get through there. But this moment is is like staged in the show is like, oh, really awkward moment where poor Ryan can't get seated in a way that doesn't look normal. Um, so so they're like, so his date, in an effort to show his devotee date as being empathetic and compassionate, he's like, well, we don't know he's a devotee yet. We don't, that's true. But we kind of get that vibe because he seems to be sort of lusting and salivating at Ryan. I didn't catch on at all. No? No. That's good. You have more faith in people than I do. But the, um, (laughs) so, like, when they actually do get seated in a fucking booth, Ryan makes a shitty joke. He's like, saved by the booth. And then they're like, oh, oh, you have such a... That's a good first date joke. No. Well, it, it would be funny if you made it, maybe, but... That's a joke that you make on the first date just to cut through the embarrassment and the awkwardness of it. Every first date is awkward, so I'm, yeah, I'm I'm definitely throwing out dumb dad jokes to get through a first date. 
Yeah, you know how to deliver dumb dad jokes because your brain is wired for them. But this this fell flat for me. I didn't like it. Well, I guess maybe I was really? also st- still fuming about the previous the previous scene with the with Tanner and the exercise routine. Yeah. Another part of the second season is Ryan has difficulty peeling an orange, which again is another like entirely. You're jumping all over the place. I don't care. I, I was talking about examples during the season when. Um, Ryan has to deal with his disability. And the point that I'm trying to make is that all of the instances where he has to overcome it, they're, they're not that significant. They're all like incredibly small and they're really petty. Like, so yeah, so he can't, he has to sit in a booth at a restaurant, big fucking deal. He can't peel an orange, like, oh my God, cry me a river. And then, uh, oh, he struggles to like pull his Velcro across his shoe. Fuck your life. And then... <laughs> There's a scene where he drops a glass and his like things are strained between him and his mother because his grandma just died and they haven't been living together for a while. So she hasn't been sort of used to him having a codependency on her. And so she's like, oh, fuck, fine. I'll get the fucking broom. And that it cuts to like Ryan, like cleaning up the glass or something. Oops. Mom. First the orange, now this. CP strikes again. I'm I'm sorry. Right. There, there are definitely some things you can't do, but this isn't one of them. Well, then why didn't you ever teach me? I tried, but you always found a way out of it. Ugh. I know how much you hate this, and I feel like it's my role to just at least play devil's advocate a little bit. Because I didn't hate it, but again, I don't share CP with you, and... I, I don't have the same triggers because of that. I think that this could have done more in this scene. I think it was trying to speak to the idea of learned helplessness, which is something we've briefly talked about before, I think. Yeah, but this this show is not good at exploring those like idiosyncratic day-to-day obstacles of disability, at least in the in the first four episodes. Yeah, I was thinking about that. And I honestly think, again, like you just said, we still have four more episodes and maybe it'll get better mm-hmm. and maybe it'll explore these things a bit more. Yeah. But I think, I was thinking like, if I'm Ryan, I write the first season and then Netflix is like, cool, people liked it. Let's do another one. Ryan's like, oh, amazing. Okay. And then they're like, but you only get one more season. Yeah. And so now he has to cram every thing that he knows about disability that is a talking point and that should be discussed on screen into four or sorry eight half hour chunks so four hours of a of a show yeah and that's a difficult feat so either he has to do what he did which is kind of touch on everything but then never dive in or you pick a couple and you dive in deeper which is something I definitely would have liked to see, at least to compare. But Ryan probably felt a lot of pressure to appease everyone and to talk about everything. I, I really don't think he spreads himself thin trying to address all the important bullet points of his disabled experience. Because again, like I th- his idea of 
disability obstacle, like just physically in the real world, navigating the real world and trying to adapt to those hurdles, like is so trivial. Every example that he portrays in the show is just fucking trivial. Like when I, when I see that moment where he drops the glass, like on the floor, I, I hear my dad in my head, you know, like six months after getting back from Minneapolis being like, you should be able to transfer into the minivan by now, Joe, I can't lift you forever. I'm 65 years old. And granted, yeah, you're right. He is 65 and maybe I should be able to transfer into the fucking minivan. But the only other point of reference I have is my sister and she's not as spastic as me and she has more command over her body. So, so I see a scene like that and I, and I take it deeply personally. Like I understand it. I resonate with it and I'm glad that it's there, but it, 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 it's not as impactful enough because what I, f- I feel like over and over again, what, R- what Ryan wants us to know in watching this show is that he is that he has an active dating life <laughs> is that like vital young men are, are interested in him yeah. and that he has a job and that he goes to the gym and that he has like, you know, friends uh, in media and publishing that work alongside him and consider him like his peers, he is much more interested in the portrait of his able-bodied life than in the stuff that he actually has has to deal with as a result of his CP. And it's, it's, it's evidenced by just how pithy and inconsequential the the obstacles that he runs into are like, I, I want him to wrestle with those, with those demons a little bit more meaningfully but I know that it runs the risk of alienating his audience, which is, again, able-bodied people who might otherwise dismiss him if they didn't realize that he had a really fucking healthy relationship with, like, a dance instructor uh, in California or wherever the fuck it is that he lives. I really, really, really hear you on that. Yeah. I felt the same way a lot of times. It felt like the, like it was almost, for better or for worse, Ryan was like, I'm going to use this season to get naked as much as I can and uh-huh. to show people I am a viable sexual partner. Yeah. Which, again, is important in disability media. It is. Okay, so uh, me being like frustrated with the awkwardness of those scenes aside, like they still are are done well and they still are like, unflinching they're not they're not hbo and again they sort of lack a kind of lust that i think is pretty important in scenes like that but that just might be a a symptom of the current time that we're in and may not necessarily even have to do with disability media or ryan o'connor or whatever i think part of it is like ryan it was a, a passion project for him right uh he wrote a book about this it turned into a tv show and I can relate to this because I probably could see myself doing the same thing if I was offered a TV show. It would be so tempting to use that as a way for you to grow personally. And I think that's what he was doing with this show was like, like you said, it's a, it's a way for him to kind of show his viability as a partner and to demonstrate that he's like a, fully fleshed human in like the able-bodied ways that disabled people are usually dismissed. And yeah, it is really important. 
I feel like it, no matter who it was, it could be it could be Ryan or it could be any new disabled uh, celebrity personality mogul, whatever. I would I would always take these things personally and i would i would fight them it would unless even even if i was at the helm of this fucking show i i i would struggle to i don't know one of the reasons why i love being able to talk to you about this kind of stuff is that you're so good at you're so good at disarming like my my frustration and my like internalized ableism you're very good at framing even the heavier stuff that we're talking about when we get really serious and when I start speaking really fast and saying fuck and like and stammering, like you're so good at kind of like bringing me back into the realm of goofiness and humor. And I need like, I need that. And I think that actually Ryan's show would benefit from having a co-writer, someone who's maybe a little bit closer to, to disability than he is and might be able to take some of the implied vanity out of the out of the show. Yeah. And these are like really these are really heavy accusations to to lay to like put upon Ryan and I understand that. Like I, I understand that it, that that that's awkward and potentially inappropriate and I do not think that uh this show is problematic, I should say. I do not think it's problematic. No. And and I understand that that there that there is a problem with me wanting to enjoy the shape of water and then looking at this show which is like as close to a first principles story of disability as you can fucking get in in the modern day unless you're watching crib camp uh and like watching this and, and getting angry at it and, and getting frustrated and uh well i think that the reason you were able to enjoy the shape of water was because it was a very abstract disability movie. Yeah. It didn't really shove it in your face. Yeah. To the point where it was, to me, so abstract that I felt like it was goofy and hard to buy into. Yeah. As we've discussed. I almost had to convince you that it was trying to say anything significant about disability at all. Yeah. And you made some great points. That distance, though, right. is what kind of like lets you. And then there's also this weird, like ableist, like appreciation that I've developed for whenever I see a story from a non-disabled primary source, but it's trying to understand like our experience. I just want to be like, oh, that's that's nice of them for for trying. Yeah, like good good for you. And then you you pat them on the head, just like they pat us on the head, which is. Like you said, a bit ableist, but I think it's harder for you to do that for this because it's so close to your experience. Like watching him do up his Velcro shoes, I'm sure makes you think, is that what I look like? Or that is what I look like. We we, we did talk about that on, on season one. Yeah. I, I want to circle back a bit to the devotee date that Ryan has yeah. in the first season because this it kind of doesn't play out the way that I had hoped. So uh, after Ryan's date with Tanner, Ryan discovers that Tanner has a boyfriend who's much older. He's been with the guy for eight years. So it's a long-term committed relationship that is supposedly open. Um, But Tanner wants to branch out uh, because he's more realistic about monogamy or something. I don't know. But anyway, 
um, Ryan's like, all right, well, if you're in, if, if this is an open relationship, then I guess it's cool if I pursue other dudes. And so Ryan runs into a guy who's actually a fan of his writing and he's never encountered a fan before. So he's like, oh, this is really interesting. Like I, this is an inverted power dynamic for me. I have never been appreciated on, on this basis before. It's, it's never afforded me a romantic opportunity. So I got to go fucking check this shit out. And so, yeah, he goes on this date with this guy who I was convinced was the the main, the teacher from Glee or whatever, just to give you a mental image of what he looks like. He's quite handsome and friendly looking and whatever. He looks very uh, harmless. And he's like, he's just like lathering on the charm for, for Ryan and just like eating up his every word. So they go on their first date and then Ryan makes that shitty phone booth joke uh, or like booth seat, whatever. Great joke. So, you know, they go out for dinner and their uh, devotee asks Ryan what it was like to grow up with cerebral palsy. Can you play that clip, actually? Okay, are you aware that you're, like, out of my league or something? What? No, I think it's the other way around. I read that piece you wrote about your disability. It's incredible. Oh, come on, that's not a big deal. I think it's brave, actually. Was it hard growing up with CP? Um... I mean, I wouldn't recommend it. Really? Yeah, I mean, you know, all the surgeries and physical therapy and leg braces. Oh, you wore leg braces. Yep. Real sexy, huh? And there's like, yeah, so you're, that's the, the point where you're starting to wonder if this guy is fetishizing uh, Ryan because like, why the hell would he give a fuck about leg braces? And Ryan's response for me was, again, frustrating because there is an implication that a lot of his disabled experience is in the past for him. Like, it's not something that he lives currently. It's in the surgeries that he had as a child. It, it's in having to learn to walk with a with a K-walker initially. It's in having to wear braces. But now he doesn't wear braces. And thank God, because they are so embarrassing to have to wear and it's always so obvious and it makes your gait look even more stilted and god forbid any like attractive man like look at me and then decline me because i had to wear fucking orthotics like fuck my life and i i don't like that implication um but anyway so a devotee guy loves ryan's braces and he's like oh and so they go home or, or, to, or, or back to this guy's apartment and then like while they're having sex like uh devotee starts saying how much he loves ryan's uh scars and he loves that he used to wear braces and he uh loves that he had surgery or whatever just like you know like he's super yeah i know you're joking i think it's so sexy you used to wear leg braces oh okay and i know it's weird but i'm just really into disabled guys you all are so hot to me thanks I'm sorry, is that okay? Yeah, it's fine. And you're, damn, your your scars, your your limp, it just gets me so fucking hard. What do you do in that moment, if that's you? I don't know. I, I've been thinking about this for a couple days now. Because I guess it's the, the moment where where this guy ceases to be an ally, I guess, or like a good person is when he says, you all are so sexy to me because he's 
it's a vast generalization and it's yeah. it's dehumanizing and whatever like he he is like servicing his libido because he finds like the supposed helplessness of a crippled person to be arousing and just all the ways in which they are vulnerable and less than yeah. listing all of those uh, afflictions that he's attracted to in Ryan and which also Ryan wants to distance himself from because again he doesn't he doesn't want to identify as disabled fundamentally and I, th- I think the show actually addresses th- th- my criticism here when his boss calls him ableist in the first season but anyway so this guy like goes like he monologues about like uh, the impetus for his boner and fucking ryan's like oh i like like you hear the the moment where he kind of like no longer consents to this but he's also like in the middle of the deed so he like can't really stop it and he feels obligated to continue and then it and then the show sort of frames it as being like tantamount to rape okay so if ryan actually went through this if this is an autobiographical autobiographical account of a sexual encounter that ryan had uh, in his life before the show, then that's fucking terrible. And it sucks for him. Uh, and I full stop have nothing more to say about it. But if this B plot happens in order to frame Tanner as like a more viable option for, for Ryan or an example of a bad way to love a wheelie, then I, 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 I do take issue with it because um, first and foremost, like, there's an implication that being attracted or being aroused by somebody's uh, like by an element of someone's disability is inherently like wrong or weird. And I'm not really sure if that's true. Like one of our friends that we've uh, recorded episodes with and we've appeared on his podcast as well. Andrew Gerza. So Andrew likes to take photos of himself that are like provocative and sexy. And he likes to include his leg bag in those photos because he wants to destigmatize like the um, elements of disability on his person. He wants to include it in his sexualization because it's important to him that people don't discount him for the things that are necessary for him to, uh, you know, be. That is really bold to me because I can't, <laughs> I can't picture myself doing that. I don't have enough courage to do that myself. I have, I harbor a lot of embarrassment uh, for certain aspects of my own experience. Um, and so, but Ryan like kind of frames this devotee encounter as like, oh, this, this, this guy's gross. And I, I think like his interest in Ryan is like, it could be harmless. Like I, I thought it would be interesting if this sexual encounter happened and, and Ryan was thrown by it, but then he like continued to pursue it just because you know, like, again, his sexual experience is limited and he's probably eager just like you or I would be in our early 20s. And so you'd be w- willing to look past it just to see where it goes. And I thought, like, it would, be, it would be interesting if it turned out that this guy wasn't actually all that bad. He just had some strange quirks or whatever, uh, which, you know, like we often have to make concessions in our romantic lives like putting up with things that we may not put up with if we were able-bodied like you know in order to try to have some uh semblance of like love or sex or whatever in our lives so i thought it'd be, it'd be interesting if he's kept seeing this guy uh just to see where it goes but instead 
like after that sexual encounter, you cut to like an, an obligatory scene where Ryan's like in a bathtub attempting to like wash the experience off of himself. And there's, there's a scene where he like uses a loofah to try to like scrub out his fucking scars. And I thought that was like super on the nose. Like, like really, but again, like if he actually fucking went through that and, and, and life imitated art for whatever stupid reason, then that sucks. But I, it doesn't really feel like, like that. Like the, the whole thing plays out exactly the way you would fucking expect it to. Like this is a boilerplate example of a mistreatment of a disabled person in an intimate context. Yeah. And, I, and I, I didn't like it. I agree that it feels a little, it's definitely on the nose. It feels a bit forced. It doesn't feel deep enough. It brings me back to my same thought as earlier. <laughs> You know, it just felt like he was trying to cram a bunch of stuff into a series. And he was like, oh, I got to cover devoteeism. So he wrote a scene. Yeah. And I like in a Judd Apatow comedy, like like this guy wouldn't have been the final romantic interest that our hero would settle for, but it would definitely be mined for more comedy. Like how funny would it be if they go on a few more dates and like at some point, like Ryan trips on his shoelace or something and the guy like jizzes in his pants. Exactly. Like the guy jizzes in his pants or like Ryan, like doesn't know how to use a specific utensil at a sushi place. And the guy's like just eager to feed him sushi, <laughs> like in a weird, horny context. Like if they if they mind it for some kind of awkward comedy and Ryan was just like, yeah, this guy sucks, but there's something in him that it does see me. And so I'm going to see where it goes. That would have been way, way more interesting yeah. as opposed to like like a borderline uh, like uh, rape encounter. It would have been very interesting, but also potentially way more problematic which i think is why ryan didn't do that because you know how many people would have been outraged if he pursued this guy anyway after going through that but it's it's all in the framing and it's all in it's all in intent and motivation yeah but i think this show was framed as it felt very high level yeah it didn't feel like they were diving deep into any one thing so it wouldn't really make sense to go deep into this and, and everything else was the way it was. I guess, yeah. But the end result just makes it feel so stilted. It does feel stilted. And like, I, I saw everything coming. Like, even the, the, the stupid scene with the loofah, like, I knew that was coming. Why would it have been so much different if that had actually happened versus fiction? Like, to me... When you write a show, you can use fiction to create moments as much as you want. It doesn't always have to, it doesn't have to be autobiographical. The The rule is to write what you know and failure to do so is always transparent to the audience. So should you not talk about it unless someone has specifically been a devotee to him? I would say maybe, yeah. If you've not encountered it in real life, then you don't know how to write about it. Therefore, you shouldn't. Yeah. Or like, I mean, I mean, abstract your abstract other experiences that speak to your disability. I don't know. Again, he probably he might have experienced this. I, I don't fucking know. Well, there's a good chance. Well, I don't know if there's a good chance. There's a chance that he experienced some form of this 
and then just adapted it for the screen. Yeah. It's just the whole like trying to clean away your scars. Yeah. It felt again like it was sort of just written to for the able-bodied viewer. After that scene, I wish he succeeded in wiping off those scars and then the show ended because he was no longer disabled. <laughs> Imagine if we scrubbed harder, we could walk. <laughs> yeah. There is no food in your house. Not to be weird, but I checked. Oh, that's just because cooking isn't really my journey. So he doesn't want Tanner to know in that particular clip that he has no food because he can't cook because of lack of experience and because of the dexterity and timing it requires to actually prepare food properly. The logic is, you know, if he can't peel an orange, then he certainly can't make an omelet. They always say... If you're going to make an omelet, you got to peel a few oranges. Yeah, you got to peel a few oranges first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that, again, is hugely related, uh, relatable to me. But, but it's like very subtle there. That's like the most subtle reference to disability in the first half of the season. Yeah, I think he was sort of easing people into it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot here to talk about. And I know we have a whole other episode to talk about it. Um, but yeah, let's talk about the last scene in the la- in the fourth episode. Hey, Mom, did having me ruin your life? No, honey, no. It's just on your birthday, you said I was a burden. And then ever since Grandma died, you've just been acting like I'm this huge fuck up. And I just, I don't want to be the reason why your life isn't the way you want it to be. Sweetie. Having you might have made my life more difficult, but it also made it so much more joyful. I don't want to be another person you have to take care of. I will want to take care of you for the rest of my life, but you don't need that. So here's another thing that I loved, or or one thing that I loved about the show, is that Ryan's mother really seems to love him. And the 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 codependent dynamics between them are very believable they they spend a good amount of this season apart and their reunion is pretty emotionally affecting they have good chemistry uh when they get angry at each other like the air is filled with that sharpness of two people in disagreement it's good it's it's really good and i know i've been negative for like the past half hour please understand that this show uh brings out my demons as much as anything else. And so I'm wrestling with those more than trying to pin Ryan O'Connor to the wall. I'm not even being sarcastic. I love that you say that because, you know, it's something that I felt when I was watching it with you. Yeah. But it's not my place to say that for you. Yeah. And I'm really glad that you're able to see that and say that in real time. Yeah. Because... We have focused a lot on the negatives of of this show. Yeah. But this show does do so many things really well. And one of those things it does really well is bring out your demons. Oh, yeah. Which is a good thing for it to do. Yeah. It's just really hard to fucking watch this thing, which is why I could only, like, stomach the first four episodes. And we should say, like, Obviously, we've known about this show for a long time. Yeah. We've known this season was out, but we wanted to wait until you felt ready to tackle it. There were many times where I was like, 
you want to watch one episode and you you weren't ready. I was like, no, I had a long day. Yeah. <laughs> Even just recording this episode, I think there was a lot of mental hurdles for you to jump through to be prepared to record today. We are supposed to record yesterday, but I didn't sleep the night before because I was trying to process how to talk about my discomfort with the fucking devotee scene. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's touchy. It's fucking touchy. Well, it's touchy because it's so close to you. And I think that that's something worth exploring because if a show can affect you to the core like it has done and bring out these demons and make you wrestle with your own insecurities, yeah, the show is doing something important. Yeah, Even if those feelings feel negative right now, you have to be able to work through those things. And it's ultimately getting you more in touch with those things that bother you. And I think that's going to help you. So obviously, we're going to have to watch four more episodes. It's going to be a struggle for you again. But I honestly think that this is so cliche and corny to say. Yeah. But it's really, really important for you to and like us to go through those this whole season, I think it's going to be curative. And like, I think healing is part of your journey. <laughs> Fuck. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> okay. Brian asked his mother if, if, if he made. Yeah. Back to complaining. <laughs> Ryan fucking asked his mother if she made his life harder or I mean like if having him like was difficult like a, I fuck off bold question though I mean come the fuck on Jesus Christ imagine I, asking your mom that no no <laughs> like I could be at the top of my shitty staircase and like sweating my balls off my shoulders hurting and I'm just like looking down at my mom as she's playing pop it and I'm like, mom, did I make your life harder? And then I like fall down and she has to pick me up off the ground and say like, yes, of course you did, motherfucker. <laughs> None of this is easy. There's no way she would say that. I know your mom. My mom is like, my mom is Frances McDormand. Okay. Like in, Who's that? Uh, you know, she plays Margie in uh, Fargo and uh, uh, she's the main character in three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. My mom is, is Frances. Like she has no filter. Like she's quick to the F word. Like she's very succinct and ladylike, of course, but, but she can, she can pack a rebuttal. Like she can, I mean, she can just cut right through you. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. I respect it immediately and, and always, but I'm terrified of it. And I could never in a million years, like pose such an artless question to my mom that like, because you're afraid of her being like, yeah, dude. No, but no, because it's just not a question you fucking ask, like in in yeah. real life. You, like, you don't ask. It doesn't feel like it. It feels like like a question you can't ask, expecting a genuine response. No, it's something that you have to illustrate through the narrative. You have to you have to show Ryan start to feel like maybe his mother like uh, is slightly resentful of him, and then throughout the story. Like they they go through a, a mutual conflict together that reassures both Ryan and his mother that they are that they have a healthy relationship and that neither are a burden on one another. And it, it's like the disability equivalent of do I look fat in these jeans? Yeah, it's 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 just never a question. Like I'm sorry, 
everything else about the first half of this season is well written. This particular fucking moment is very, very frustrating to me. If I if I like went to my dad and I was like, hey, dad, uh, am I a burden to you? He'd be like, what the hell are you talking about, Joe? I got things to do. And then he'd leave the room. Yeah. <laughs> we should secretly record ourselves asking our parents this question. <laughs> and then play it on a podcast. Yeah, yeah. My mom would give the sweetest answer. She'd be like, no, of course not. Anthony, is everything okay? Like, that's my mom. Aw. And my dad would be like, no. And then he would like, probably go off on some beautiful anecdote that makes me tear up just thinking about the hypothetical story that he's going to tell me. Have you ever seen Big Fish? No. Sounds like a country music song. Okay, well, it's, it's, it's like one of the last like heartfelt Tim Burton movies that he ever made in 2001. Oh, now I want to watch it. Anyway, your dad reminds me, reminds me of Albert Finney from Big Fish. You, have you met my dad? No, but I've, I've met him through your stories about him. Yeah, he's just a really nice man. Yeah, same as our listeners, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, like, and her response, you know, Ryan's mom's response is very sweet, but it just feels so fucking forced. Like, write it. Don't fucking... Put it in dialogue and call it a day. Yeah. Jackass. Again, though, this is bringing me back to, it just feels like he was like, I got to get everything on the table in these four episodes or eight episodes. But to ask that question mid-season as opposed to letting all eight episodes like come to some sort of resolution in tandem with whatever else, other fucking threads he's developing. What about this guy? So wait, you broke up with her because of her son. I really think that this margarita is is just delicious. The one with cerebral palsy. The kid was an asshole. Oh, so is my daughter an asshole? That's a clip of Ryan's mother before they kind of reunite. She goes on a date with um, with her ex-boyfriend and his new girlfriend, weirdly. And they're basically talking about Ryan's mother's talking about her romantic history with this guy. And part of the reason they broke up is because the guy didn't get along with Ryan and he didn't get along with Ryan for good reason, which is one of the best beats of the show because it actually speaks to Ryan's flaws as a protagonist. <laughs> yeah. I did like this scene because it's critical of our hero for once. Yeah. I always like every, I've mentioned this before, but anytime there's a disabled person in a movie or a show and they're portrayed authentically, as not an inspiration. Yeah. It's so amazing to me. Yeah, let them behave badly. Like let them just be human. Yeah. Let them mess up. Let people dislike them. Let them get in real fights with people. So after all of this, after everything I've said about Ryan that I dislike, one thing that I really do like about the show is that it strikes a really good balance because Ryan is the center of the of of the show's universe but at the same time he 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 also like gives the spotlight to a lot of other people to to his mother and to his best friend and to his love interests he does kind of he's okay with not always being the center of attention uh, at least in terms of the narrative which which succeeds in making the show's world feel uh, ensemble like yeah well we have a couple more clips if you want to set them up 
There's one clip uh, just after his grandmother's funeral where he inadvertently runs into yet another prospective dating opportunity. And I, at the time I was just like, man, like this guy just constantly is tripping over available dicks. It's just raining dicks for Ryan every fucking day. If it was just, you just had to like walk with a limp and that's as much as you have to do to be, to go from swipe until you have arthritis to tripping over dicks, that would be amazing. It'd be pretty nice. That's just a stem city. I'm on the spectrum. Mild though, so just a sprinkle. I have cerebral palsy. Also just a sprinkle. (laughs) Yeah, again, downplaying his disability. Annoying, annoying, annoying. It speaks to ableism that he already addressed in in season one, so he gets a pass for it, but ugh. Maybe he's just flirting. Like, I've done that before where I pretend I have abilities that are obviously so far out of my reach. Like, when someone's struggling to open a jar, I'll be like, here, I'll do it. Uh, Yeah, but that's really funny. And also, like, you're not insecure about, you're not, you don't need to appear more able than you are. Well, I don't have the luxury either. Yeah, but even if you did, I don't think you would do that because you'd never, I've never, I've never seen your ego threatened in my life, except when I wonder if we could, like, tighten up a joke. Do you want to explain that one? No. Because I know what you're referring to. (laughs) And that was... Outrageous. <laughs> Fine. My ego was already just a sprinkle of humor. <laughs> yeah, like, come on, fucking sprinkle of CP. Okay. I, I, you know, I have my fair share of insecurities. What I will say is because my disability was so, I don't know what the right word is. It was thrust on me aggressively because it because it's all consuming right i didn't have the option to pretend i was able-bodied or to try to pass as uh, able-bodied or to downplay my abilities so because of that i've been sort of forced trial by fire into just accepting where i'm at it doesn't come naturally it still doesn't come easy because my disability is changing constantly and I'm still having to get used to new and different limitations. You're, you're just being modest. You're saying that your, your affability is a result of your circumstance, but I think it's a result of your character and I refuse to budge on that. Well, maybe that's your ego playing. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so Ryan's tripping over dicks and he wants us to know about it. If I was tripping over dicks, I'd tell you. Would you, though? Yeah. I don't know. No, I don't think you would. Well, I'd also have to come out of the closet. <laughs> okay, we have we have worse than none of you. Oh, that's when he's breaking up with, um, with his polyamorous boyfriend, yeah. Ryan is. This is a relationship I think we should have talked about a bit more. Yeah. Because I think this ri- was written very well. Oh, it yeah. It really does talk about boundaries and... How a disabled person or, you know, not necessarily disabled, but when you are disabled, we've talked about how relationships are fewer and further between. Yeah. So it's a little more difficult to find the person that you want to be with at the given time that you want to be with them. And so sometimes we settle. Yeah. Or 
we accept things that we know aren't the most healthy choices, yep. but we rationalize them because the choices are more scarce. And Ryan fell into this in this season with, again, Tanner is amazing, the actor that plays him, super great. The relationship is great. The dynamic is fantastic. And Ryan is struggling, at least for the first four episodes. I have a feeling he's going to be in the other four as well. Yeah. But um, he, Ryan is really struggling to decide whether he's okay with being with this person who he genuinely gets along with. Tanner genuinely seems to like Ryan, but um, Tanner was also very upfront from the get-go that he's in an open relationship with another person and would not be able to spend time with Ryan when his boyfriend is in town. Yeah. And Ryan, you know, was struggling with this for a while, rebounds with the devotee guy, ends up realizing that the devotee guy obviously wasn't where it's at, struggles with that, ends up on the phone breaking up with Tanner to just say, hey, man, this isn't going to work out. I don't think I can be with you like this. The whole relationship arc is great. I don't need to rehash the whole thing. But then eventually, in I think it's the fourth episode, this conversation happens. Tanner, I don't think I can do this anymore. Wait, what? But you just said that... No, the whole night we were in your perfect house, surrounded by all your perfect things, and I just... All I could think about was how much I wished it was our perfect house, surrounded by our perfect things. And I wish you were close to my niece, and it Wait, was just... do you even have a niece? No, I just... I want all the things you have with Richard. I want to have this actual life with you, but I can't because you already have it with someone else. No, Barai, the whole point of tonight was to show that this can work. It works for you, but it doesn't work for me. And you know what the sad thing is, is that I could see myself doing a version of this with you forever. And each time it will just, I'll feel a little bit worse because getting some of you hurts worse than getting them. Super relatable. Yeah, very relatable because um, Ryan, just like all disabled people, has had to live his life vicariously through the able-bodied people in his life, in his life. And he finally ends up in a healthy relationship with somebody that he likes and that we like. And then he finds out that he has to be in this open relationship in which he effectively has to uh, experience part of his own boyfriend vicariously. And that's, that's shitty. That's just, that's, that sucks. And Tanner for all his virtues is also very, very good at manipulation because he doesn't let Ryan reject him the first couple times that Ryan expresses discomfort with participating in an open relationship. And he's constantly like trying to compartmentalize the two men, which is, I, I suppose, natural. But he seems to have a kind of character flaw where he, he can't be alone, Tanner, because, you know, his his older boyfriend will go on a trip and then he'll call Ryan and then the older boyfriend will return and he'll have to weigh his options. So he just can't have a moment without someone to dote upon him. And so it, it, it's a problem, but the show like Ryan has yet to sort of call him out for this particular character flaw. And I wonder if the show is going to do it. Yeah. I was wondering that too. 
because I, I hope it does. The rest of the relationship to this point has really been a highlight of the show for me. I really feel like they've really written the boundaries well, mm-hmm. not even just the boundaries objectively, but navigating those boundaries and how complicated that can be for anyone, but how increasingly difficult it can be when you have your insecurity of your disability at play as well. The whole thing is interesting and well executed, I think. It's definitely the highlight of the series so far for me. You remember when I was listing all the ways in which poor Ryan struggles to be disabled? Yeah. There's one scene at the end of the um at the end of the fourth episode when Ryan sits down to watch TV with his mother just after he breaks the glass. Uh where they're they're sitting and watching TV together and he's like, Oh, you know what? I'm gonna go get us a snack. There there's a moment where he struggles to get out of a of a of a low couch. I didn't even catch this. It's a soft, plushy, like bucket seat. And Ryan, you you can watch him like work up the the spastic energy to shoot up and go get the fucking food <clears throat> and it's not anything that is emphasized by the show it's not an example of one way in which he struggles but i have a couch in my very garage that i seldom sit in especially if i have somebody over that i'm interested in because of just how much work i have to surmise yeah, you don't want to look like someone who works hard. Yeah, like you don't you don't want to look like you're in the middle of a fucking bowel movement when you're trying to like push up to get out of the fucking chair. And I watched Ryan struggle with this and I was like, that motherfucker is human. And then I was also mad at him because I was like, with all the pithy shitty ways in which he tries to tell able-bodied people that he's disabled, why not complain about his mother's old comfortable couch? I was actually thinking, I wonder if there were any moments on screen where they had to cut for blooper reel because Ryan like tripped and fell. <laughs> if that happened, either show us the blooper reel or like make that into the final cut. Yeah, there's only one bit of physical comedy I think that I can uh, that I can come up with, which is when he goes to the gym with his friend Kim. Yeah. And he's like doing this like absurd bench press with a like a barbell yeah but you hated it i did hate it because i i think he was flexing again because it's like a it's like a uh a super cut of him like walking on a treadmill and then like lunging and it's also they're also having a conversation while he's doing it and he's only slightly breathless which uh most straight people with cp like i can't walk and like fight with tony at the same time I just don't have the, I have to either, I, I can only do one thing at a time. I remember this exact moment. I started laughing and you were like, what's funny? <laughs> and I paused it to explain why I thought it was funny that Kim is like doing the workout of her life. Yeah. And Ryan was juxtaposed there just like barely doing anything. Yeah. And I thought that was a funny joke. I thought it was an intentional funny joke. And you were like, well, yeah, he can do more than that, though. Yeah, well, I what I mean, I don't know if you look at if you look at how he's built, like yeah, like the dude definitely moves. Yeah, but I think that's the joke. I think the joke was that he was like not even putting in the work, and Kim was going crazy. If that wasn't the joke, then I'm on your side. 
but I honestly thought that it was like supposed to be just the funny contrast between how much Kim was doing. She's like sweating profusely and Ryan's like barely even exercised. I thought that was a joke. Ha ha. Ha 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 ha. Sorry, I forgot you don't like humor. We'll keep that in mind <laughs> going forward. <laughs> well, we've covered a lot. We still have four more episodes to cover. We've run up the clock. I think for this week, let's not do a wheel breaker. Uh-huh. And then we'll continue next week with the rest of the show. Uh, this is our first two-parter, so hopefully you guys, we didn't overwhelm you with our voice and our rants and everything. But this was an important one because this show got a lot of eyes, got a lot of critical acclaim, and it is my belief that it's a very important show. I think it's a good show, but I also agree with Jamie's point of view, which is that as a show, ultimately the only show right now, truly, authentically representing CP beyond Crip Camp, that's always an asterisk. Yeah, yeah. Um, it doesn't dive deep enough into the real nuances we were hoping to see. That's That's basically it, yeah. Let's hope that in the next four episodes, some of that changes. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Yeah. I was thinking, like, yeah, this is like the Citizen Kane of wheelie television shows. But instead of Kane, like K-A-N-E, it's like Kane is in Walking Kane. <laughs> CP strikes again. Oh, fuck. I hate that line so much. Please don't end up playing that every time I make a shitty pun joke. Bye, everyone. Bye. Well, I'm going to go to the bathroom because pee-pee starts again. <laughs>